You haven't been on our audio show ever, often. This may be your first time. It really is. This is your first time as a guest on the audio show. For people who watch us on YouTube, Alyssa's just practically like a host. Like Alyssa's just here all the time and usually with me really late at night. Way too late. Way too late. Watching a movie, getting high, just <laughs> like, like, you know, all that stuff. But I just realized before we even get into current events, I sh- we should just talk about you. Oh, because people people may know who Alyssa Vieira is, but who's the real Alyssa Vieira? <laughs> um, Nobody wants let, to know who that is. She's well, sad. Okay. People, well, let let's let's start. Let's backpedal a little bit, even further. Let's assume that nobody even knows what Twitter is. You're a Twitter personality. Uh, you're a former Bernie Twitter superstar, and you're now just trying to survive and live life. <laughs> Tell us, tell us your backstory and maybe your time on the Bernie viral world and how all that stuff was and who you are and what your background is. Bernie viral world was dope. You know, I signed up for that campaign kind of like, I'll be real. I was on the shitter and I got an email and was like, well, hmm, wonder if they meant to send me this. I'll fill it out. We'll see what happens for like the Bernie school, like about a year before any of the election stuff happened. It ended up being a really awesome tight knit group of uh people that i was working with and uh the school was fun very much hands-on how to run your own campaign even from the beginning back then it felt like it was more of a school of like these are the things that you're gonna have to do if you run as you should and then um you know it's funny i did not use twitter before the bernie campaign and then we did the my bernie story and that was when i started connecting with so many of the people now that i think of as like friends if not family on twitter i love my twitter family which sounds silly to say but a lot of them have been just real people like you brandon so yeah that was fun i was able to do you know even go out in different states because of that twitter group and how bernie utilized social media that was pretty awesome it's really sinking in with me that this entire conversation makes you sound like a nerd <laughs> And like, you are the furthest thing from just like, you know, we start a conversation and we're like, Alyssa, talk about Twitter. And um, like, you are great. Like, I feel bad. How do you start when describing yourself? Do you start with great on Twitter? Do you start no. your fan? Well, what is, what is, what are the number one things? Like, it's so hard to, what's the headline for you as a person? Um, That's hard. It changes, you know? We're all dynamic individuals, but, you know, I think the most integral part of myself is being, you know, a single widowed mom who's tried and tried again to get <laughs> damn college education. And so I'd, I'd say, you know, being a mom, being an activist and being somebody that's really, really, really interested in learning from from a lot of people. Uh, and I think that's part of why Twitter always comes up, though, is I feel like because it's been one of those avenues of me to me interact and engage with people, causes and new ideas that I, I find not only intriguing, but uplifting and uh you know also depressing as shit sometimes but in general on average i'm a people person with social anxiety so i'm like big time extrovert who has just a crippling social anxiety that i've dealt with for a lot of my life but you know i'm also somebody who's overcome a lot of obstacles and has dealt with a lot of trauma and has come out the other end with a good attitude that's not what i meant to say we'll scratch that not a good attitude but who's 
managed. I don't well. know. I mean, what is what's the difference between a good attitude and a bad attitude, and how important is it? Well, exactly. That's why I would scratch that and just say, like, I see what you mean. Generally, a genuine optimist. You know, I believe in the fucking people. Is really so. Attitude is kind of irrelevant. That shit changes. But you know, to my core, I'm a believer in optimism and potentiality. Mother activist, educator, organizer. At her core, Alyssa Vieira is a person that <laughs> has a deep-rooted optimism and belief in the healing power of um Oh, you no, almost got it. Accountability, fairness of forgiveness uh, of a culture that is built around kindness, community building and consensus building. Yeah, mutual aid. And, you know, also, you know, I I do identify with a lot of the hot buzzwords that are used now. I think we kind of tend to skip over the meaning of those things. But like, I'm a very firm believer that education is power and knowledge is power, even though the people that sold to us were full of shit, you know, but so I I guess like you were saying, I'd say that I'm a, you know, I'm a mom, I'm an activist, but I'm also an educator and a learner. So, yeah, if you don't know me from political Twitter, Kylie and I also used to do a cooking show. Damn. Listen, how much of your cooking audience still knows that you're out here on the streets? Do they, like, still follow you? Oh, yeah. Most of them got political with me, too. Oh, okay. Coming fresh off of a campaign to radicalize cooking Twitter. (laughs) The communist cookbook revamped. How do you radicalize cooking Twitter? Tell us about (laughs) You know, it's a sweet and savory experience. Oh, my God. (laughs) I had so many. You're so lucky. That's what I went with. But people have to eat. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, I feel like uh, this may sound like super cheesy pun intended. Uh, but but there's, you know, something to be said for how much we can find in common with cooking, especially if we're all going to the food bank and getting the same bunk ass shit from it. But so yeah, a lot of the things I was cooking were things that were either from the clearance section or the like super duper sale from the markets and or from the food pantry and so a lot of it was based around finding ways to create meals that were you know healthy which is surprisingly hard to do with the stuff they give you and you know so I I guess a lot of it was poverty based in a way and community based in another way ideally someday I'll I'll make that show come back where we do like you know we all have a lot of I mean, both of us have brains that get us sucked into a lot of things at once. So do you think that's like a fair uh, characterization of you as a person? You get committed to a lot of things. Yeah, I do. I have an overwhelming desire that is almost like propels me to get involved in stuff just because I care so much. And one of the things that I've always felt like is, you know, a lot of us struggle with stuff and there's different stigmas or there's there's different things going on where you're like, you know, I'm going through this thing that's very clearly either unjust, unfair, or just absolutely bullshit. And, you know, I, I can't be the only one. And so one of the things that I've, you know, really found with that is that, again, this goes back to like my desire to be a part of communities is especially in COVID times, but like providing that like at least emotional support. But, you know, community and engagement with those things. And when people care about something, I just I'm drawn to it. And I'm drawn to at the very least trying to help in any way I can. And that not because of altruism, but because it's I fucking hate when you're going through something that's super unfair or unjust or some other iteration of those things. And you're like, man, I know I'm not the only one dealing with this shit. 
So especially, you know, sometimes you run into so many situations where you just need like an extra hundred bucks or you just need an extra 50 bucks and your your shit just totally hits the fucking skids based on you not having a little bit of money or you not having a little bit of attention or not knowing one person that can make a phone call and resolve your situation. And that stuff sucks up weeks or months or years out of someone's life just trying to get through like the regular ravages of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's a large part of why I'm still gonna try and you know pull off this law school stuff is not because I want to be a lawyer but because I want to uh, be able to provide a kind of help that is very highly guarded when it comes to like economic and fiscal stability you know I, one of the things that we've really been seeing a rise in is well huh, that's a bad that's We've seen a rise in a lot of things, but we've seen a rise in a lot of things. It's true. But one of them being is that that I've experienced firsthand and that a lot of my comrades have experienced firsthand is this, you know, getting into positions where we have no way of protecting ourselves legally. And they know that and they bank on that. And there's no, you know, there is no real free legal service where I live. They won't give you advice. They'll help you fill out forms and they treat you like you're stupid. And you're like, no, I know how to read what that says. I want to know what I need to go say to this judge or whatever. So anyways, I just, I think we're as a people feeling a lot more vulnerable now. And that's part of also why I just get over-involved and overextended on a lot of things is because there are so many important, crazy causes going on. And a lot of them are just like, new iterations or permutations of the same difficulties and hardships that have gone. I want to talk a little bit more about just how helpful like having or knowing a lawyer is. So many people like in these protests from last year, people who were mm-hmm. just minding their own business and walking the street. You know, if you watch, you know, 251146, which, which if you're in Atlanta, is the mainstream media. If you're listening to ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, you know, the local news there, you have this impression of people who are arrested during protests must be super demonstrative, violent weirdos. And if you're on Twitter, uh, where you can maybe get more video or if you're on Facebook where you can at least go find that kind of stuff if you want to look for it. You know, Facebook is really all about targeting. That that real violence, like, I guess, that, that people yeah. face, like, comes unprovoked so often. Like, it's just people that are walking and minding their own business and holding up a sign or something like that. And somebody wants to meet their quota or get an arrest or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, Having access to a lawyer in those times makes getting out because you usually get out because you're getting caught in on bullshit anyway. It makes it a faster, smoother process. Also, because sometimes people get arrested by like at a half dozen at a time and you've got to, you know, go through a, a list and call people's families and stuff like that. And in case you have not gathered yet, Alyssa fucking hates the police. Like abolish them (laughs) there is no reason for them and i also just think like the very structure of the law is not i think i know the very structure of the law is there to help perpetuate exactly what you're saying which is a different form of violence a violence we don't talk about as much or as easily and i think that a lot of people don't feel comfortable calling it violence but there is a targeted harassment and a targeted violence and there is you know a hopelessness attached to those encounters especially if you like we were just saying don't know somebody that can help you you don't have family who can help you you know it's a very isolating and violent experience to go through 
it helps to have somebody that's got their stuff together and just knows people's rights, like their basic. Yeah. And, and then even that's not enough right now. I mean, yeah. it's hilarious in a time of police and law enforcement going through all this. Like we do live in a very, like as far as they're concerned, in my opinion, a very lawless time. Uh, sure. Just in so much as that, like, it's very subjective and a lot of people like to engage in this, like, the view from the top, you know, where we're like, oh, no, these are objective people. They're engaging with us objectively. And you're like, okay, but we're all fucking people. And it is literally impossible for any one of us to eliminate our biases or to pretend like we're engaging with these things entirely objectively. And that leads to a lot of disproportionate harm and violence and all kinds of different things for people. And then again, you go back to if you don't know someone or you don't have a friend who knows someone who knows someone, then it can literally mean the difference between having a house and living in a car. It can mean the difference yeah. between not having a home or at the very least feeling unsafe, like insecure in a whole different way where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to pull this off. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. And I don't think we really have any way that we're actively dealing with what these ramifications mean for people because they're thoroughly traumatic experiences you know right. especially if you're just some person walking down the street like okay even if you're not but like the systems that are being used to enforce these things are violent in so many vast ways that it's almost hard to pinpoint just one and if you're experiencing those it's like a very tumultuous and again isolating experience if that makes any sense I think it makes total sense. You talked about, you know, unfairness being something that motivated you to activism. Before, like, I want to extend on the topic of, like, unfairness, but can you talk about your political growth and how, I mean, does that issue shape your personal politics in general? Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I grew up with a bunch of hillbillies. Like, I grew up with a bunch of people who... Well, so this is, and this is one of those weird things, like, I grew up with people who were, you know, this was before, like, the alt-right, openly Nazi, fucking white supremacists, clearly and happily embracing that, but with a bunch of conservative, uneducated hillbillies, and, um, so for a while there, you know, when I was really young, I was kind of got caught up in that, in so much as, like, you know, I didn't have an understanding, and this is why I'm a big... I'm a big advocate for education as far as political growth is that, you know, I grew up with these people and, and then I all, but I also, I also see where they're coming from. There's a lack of education. There's a lack of awareness and there's definitely a struggle there in so much as that a lot of these people I grew up with were low income. They were, you know, dealing with poverty and seeing, you know, lots of things that they deemed as unjust. And so, you know, the more I interacted with my community and the older I got and the more I studied and learned about the intellectual jargon of ideology, social psychology, and cultural phenomenon, specifically studying like CRES, which is critical race and ethnic studies, the more I saw this overlap. And, you know, it really helped me to locate where I am now politically, which is at the very root, wanting to see liberation from, you know, these myriad structures and systems which oppress us and impose violence, hardship, and and ultimately, like, loss of hope, the loss of will. I feel like all these things have culminated me into somebody who's just like a diehard, just, I want to watch it burn, you know, but 
I also have, you know, had, you know, I've had hardship and I've had privilege and I've seen overlaps of those and lots of people. And I think that I think we've got a long way to go, but I do think people are starting to wake up to the injustice of, of a lot of situations and that when they're spoken to in a way that's respectful and or that that shows an understanding or a coherence that there's an ability to change and to gauge and change those people. How do you get through all that shit without going crazy? Like without going absolutely grab your skull and just peel the skin off out of your mind. You talked about like taking on a lot of stuff. How do you emotionally protect yourself? Maybe your answer is just like you don't. But where do you, how do you make, how do you create boundaries in your life? Oh, I don't, I don't, okay. I don't make boundaries. I need to. Somebody come make some boundaries for me. No, I, you know, I, I think that's one of my biggest shortcomings, to be honest, is I'm, I will overinvest myself and I'll, I'm not very good at setting boundaries. And then when I do, I feel super guilty. I've got a real bad guilt complex. Like, oh man, I'm not doing enough. Maybe I should do more. But, you know, something that keeps me rooted and, and grounded in those in that ability is just that, like, again, that optimism that, you know, if we all work hard enough and manage to not burn ourselves out too much, that I, I do believe there's change. I, I hate to sound like a fucking Hillary Clinton ad, but change is possible, you know, but I, I think that's true. And I think that I need to set better boundaries. But at the end of the day, I also think there's a lot of work to be done. There's so many things to be get, getting involved in. There's so many different ways we can initiate change. And so it really comes down to, you know, if I overextend myself, that's one thing. But if I get like five new people involved and or working on those things, then maybe that's how I deal with it is because I know there's five more people out there doing it. That makes sense. Yeah, you can claim credit for a lot of stuff. Uh, when you are working with other people and you have like common cause with them, um, co-op the shit out them. No, I'm just kidding. That's right. That's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> listen, you are somebody who has worked in and around a lot of organizations. How do you figure out which ones are working well and which ones are not? Like, I mean, you, you've seen a lot of dysfunction. So what are red flags for somebody who is looking to develop their, their boundaries in terms of their activism? You're somebody who's been in the game for a little while. So what are red flags for somebody that's looking for places to get involved and they see this and they're like, whoa, no, get out, get out of there. Don't let it happen to you. Have you seen anything where you looked back and you were like, man, I wish I had gotten out of there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think my number one thing is, you know, either a, a disconnect from like what community demands are. So like, I am also this is me being overly radical, but like, I'm skeptical of most 501c3s, so like nonprofits. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I won't work with them or engage with them, but if you have a group that's saying, hey, we're a nonprofit, donate money to us, you know. That donor, whoever's don't like if somebody donates a huge chunk of money to the organization. Well, and then we go back to like the revolution will not be funded because at the end of the day, if those very nonprofits that started with the best of intentions get like you were just saying, like 500K, some big number. I don't know. I'm poor, so I'm bad at making up big numbers. But if, you know, if, if you, you know, then they become beholden whether or not they care to admit it. And then there's grifters like I'm sorry for everybody out here, but like fucking Sean King. 
is a good example to me of that where maybe he has good intentions but at the end of the day if you talk to the families that are represented by him they they are very unhappy there's a lot of real well-known activists who have been associated and who have called claims to this and yet they're still asking for money like and so that's where we go back to for me one of the things that I set my boundaries are is I won't volunteer for pretty much any organization if they are only asking for money and they don't have any like canvassing phone banking texting options i'm not saying all places like that are bad but like that's one thing i i can't do like if you're asking me to donate and there's not any tangible thing i can do at the very least i'm like yo i'm broke that's classes or et poor but yeah. even best case scenario it's like well i what are you guys going to be doing with this money if not reaching out to people you know that's one thing for me is i i'm always very hesitant with that and then the other thing for me is people who are making non-tangible demands that are distant from from what communities and boots on the ground community experiences are if, if right. they're you know talking about doing some crazy thing in legislature but they're not acknowledging like needs and desires for mutual aid then i'm like i'm sure somebody else will take that up but that's not something i can take time with what are some red flags for people who you interact with on twitter you're a twitter person you're a twitter personality you run into lots of people on Twitter. What are the signs for somebody who is looking to build their social boundaries around social media interaction? What are the signs I should just block this person or mute? Do you mute people? Yeah, I mute. I don't really block people. Okay, that's not true. Somebody told me that I need to block people unless they, if they block me first. So I think I have like 11 people I have blocked maybe. I'll mute somebody if they're just coming at me a lot. But like I try to engage and I'll try to be nice unless they're like doing something real stupid. Like if they're doing something like, Brandon, did you see that woman of color tweet that was just a bunch of white ladies with brown hair, blonde hair and red hair? Uh, it sounds like something I would have seen. Yeah. Yeah. So it was real stupid. Like that kind of shit. Like, yeah, sure. I'll pop off and say something stupid and then I'll argue with them for as much attention as I have for it. But like, as far as like real people accounts, I try and engage with the best of them. But again, this comes to me overextending myself. Like I, I will give almost everybody within the realm of reasonableness a chance to discuss what they believe with me because again it goes back to what i was saying earlier which is like a lot of people want to feel heard a lot of people haven't come to the year 2021 without a strong sense of politics just not saying they're well informed on it but just given the couple of years we've had you know politics have been a big thing for a while now in the mainstream of it so like I feel like a lot of people want to feel heard they want their opinions to be recognized so I'm happy to engage with a lot of folks but there's just certain things I won't engage with and I will either mute or I'll just report the shit out of them and then block them but Mm-hmm. For the most right. part, that's my long-winded answer on that. <laughs> right? That, that all sounds extremely normal, honestly. Yeah. Um, so as we've talked about leaving the, the realm, the awful realm of social media, what are what are personal red flags in terms of just individuals that you meet? Who are the people in your life that, that you were like, man, shut that shit down the next time I see it? Do you mean like real life or social media? Yeah, just real life off outside of Twitter. Just people in your real life. Besides my Aunt Shelly I told you about. Um. Well, you know, <laughs> you feel free to, if you want to tell about that. I think it's uh, a great story, but you know, you whatever. Do. I mean, I, I will. You know what? I, I don't know. Let's not talk about Aunt Shelly. 
And no, listen, we won't. you're white, and every white person has one. <laughs> All right. You um, didn't say white trash, and I'm just waiting. Well, it's a little better in audio in the audio format. Okay. Um, I'll I'll wait when the when the moment right. is right. When the moment right. strikes you. All right. All right. Um, listen, Alyssa. Um, what is what is the last six months or so been like for you since the election? People have like seen you on and off Twitter. It seems like you're back on Twitter, whatever. What's what has been the process of returning to life for you? There's nothing that has fucking changed. And I'm real sick of people being like, well, at least we don't have Trump anymore. And I am I'm sh- hope by now everybody is gathered by that by like no account have I ever supported Donald Trump. However, the idea that we have a new president and he is going to be the fucking ringleader of change and prosperity I just, I don't buy that. I've never bought it. I think it's a load of shit. Um, Well, you've got, I mean, you're somebody who's talked about doing local activism and stuff. And that is where, like, a lot of opportunities for wins are. Like you were talking about, you've got to take advantage of local opportunities when they come up. And for the next four years, right, do you feel like there are more opportunities just organizing locally? Hey, we're. I'm on the phone with somebody who I also wanted you to talk to. So we're all here together. Hi, Shannon. What's up? It's real out here, and my problem. I just want to leave y'all on this note: is that I've been exposed to different levels. Where when I first came out, I was with a different group. We'll talk to that later. Mm-hmm. And there was this easiness, but there was this restriction. As I digress back down into cultural, I think existence that resembled. Something in my childhood, I see all these disconnected joints. They're telling you there's help, but when you get there, it's a dead end. And that messes with your social, psychological. Yes. You know? Yeah. We both hear you. I wish I didn't know as much. I wish I was just frustrated every day. But being trained and having this education, you're going to critique your life more than anybody. Right. Damn, she's spot on. Oh, thank you. Then you think about the literature, like one of the worst moments in my life, I was in my second year, and it dawned on me that the people, the statistics, everything about the stuff that I was reading and learning about social cultural movements and yada, 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 they were talking about me. Oh, my God. I embodied the whole thing, and I was like, oh, my God. And there's, I mean, I could go on for days, you guys. So how society is set up, it's about... Um, resources, demand, and supply. The more equipped you are culturally, you have a different social existence. And many people are one-dimensional. They just think their life, if they could do it in their life, everyone else can. And it's, the design is deeper than that. You could be mentally challenged. You could be socially challenged. Color is a currency. Dark skin is the lowest currency. All this place a part of this society that we move through that people don't think about. And all these things I'm saying to you have these social effects that are oppressive. Listen, let's get get on Zoom with me so we can talk in more depth or whatever. Give me a minute to finish this call and I'll text you and we'll we'll all get it. So that's Shannon Smith. I love her. Alyssa, hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm sitting down because I, I agree so much, uh, with what Shannon was just saying. Shannon, 
is really great and really on top of it, let me tell you. Well, and there's this moment I, I also had where, you know, you study these things. And I, I kind of was, I was trying to hit on it earlier, but she said it way more succinctly and, and to the point where you realize after you're studying these things that like hit you like a, a train. You you study these things and they at first they're really abstract. And then you have, maybe you have one instructor who takes it from abstract to whatever, or maybe it's that you already recognize it. Whatever form of recognition, I feel like, especially as we, as, as more and more people are gaining access to college education, and don't get me wrong, that system is very broken and college access is still very minimal. But, you know, a lot of the cats who are making it there who are, you know, in one fashion or another coming from like a first gen background or or some other low income background, you know, the kids who, who didn't think that they were going to make it to college it does it hits you where all of a sudden you realize you're like oh that's me I'm that we're talking about this thing you know and and I identify on, on this with a level that I didn't really know I did or I didn't have the vernacular or the literature or or even the recognition that I wasn't the singular person experiencing this whatever it may be or however it may manifest where you're like of course oh my goodness and I I feel like that's kind of one of the things that drove me a lot through my educational experience was being like I need to find a way to make this accessible to so many more people. So many more people need to have the ability to access and understand this. And a lot of those people that need that are the people who aren't going to college full time at a four year institution with, you know, world renowned researchers or whatever. And I think that's one of the kind of the hard things about going to college too, at least for me is I got a real big imposter syndrome on both ends. You know, there's a real good book by, um, I want to say Lombardo. I'll, I'll, I'll link it so we can post it with this. But uh, that talks about how there's this, you know, if you come from like a working class background and or low income background or, you know, just a non-stereotypical college education background, there's this in between... Gosh, I can't remember the the words that he uses, but where you're like, you feel like an imposter with your family back home because you want to try and talk to them about these things. And if you're a first gen person like I was, they're looking at you like, whoa. And then you go and you still feel like an imposter with your colleagues and the other people at academia. And I'd really, that's one thing I'd really like to see broken down. But I don't know. That's one. So that's one of my driving causes and things I care about a lot. I love it. Okay. Well, all of that is goddamn awesome, incredible, and needed. Uh, what is your plan now that you are back alive? What do you want 2021 to look like? I mean, like, <laughs> realistically and reasonably, or like, dreamscape, Alyssa? I mean, just give us all of it. Who cares? Uh I'd like to see some fucking change, like real legitimate change from I'd like to see police abolition. I'd like to see free college. I'd like to see free health care. I'd like to see, you know, decriminalization of drug use. I'd like to see, you know, every <laughs> I just like to see a lot of changes. But, you know, I'd be happy with seeing and finding ways to continue to do a lot of the movements the social movements that we were engaging with that weren't just entirely online, you know, being able to canvas, protest, strike, things like that. Mm -hmm. seeing, gosh, I wish the word resistance wasn't so co-opted, but... Uh, but it is, and it you've really got to deal with it, buddy. So, but I'd like to, I'd like to see... Melissa Vera, wishing for more resistors. 
Oh my god, I hate you. Uh, adding ah. a a blue wave emoji oh to uh, her uh, Twitter bio, all that good stuff. Um, Alyssa, we're going to talk more, but yeah. to cut a break, where can people go to be in the Alyssa world and give okay. you money and do stuff for you and all that good stuff? Everybody, May is coming up. We're doing Abolition May. So one thing I've been working on a lot with a lot of other folks, so I have absolutely, I'm taking absolutely no credit on this, but there is a very big Cops Off Campus movement in the Cops Off Coalition. So you can follow them at, or on Twitter at Cops Off Earth. And we're trying to start some direct actions demanding Cops Off Campus, police-free schools. We've got toolkits, websites. The website is Cops Off Campus Coalition. But I, I have that pinned in my profile. But, you know, if that sounds like way too much, I do highly suggest checking out a lot of free resources for toolkits. There's so many. I have a Google Drive with like more than 152 direct action and or otherwise mutual aid community-based change toolkits and things like that applicable to things that aren't just related to school campuses. But, you know, getting involved, reaching out. If you can't canvas, maybe you can cold call. But it, I feel like it's well past time for us to do change. So figuring out what our potential actions are and un utilizing those opportunities and just recognizing that, like, you know, I, I don't know, I'm very fond of the saying of the, like, think globally, but act locally. So, like, figuring out and understanding what your community issues are and really tackling those things on. What my issue is may be different from yours, but your participation in changing that is no less important, if that makes any sense. I think it makes perfect and total sense. Alyssa, uh, it was a, like, hectic little intro. A <laughs> lot of stuff's happening. Life is busy. But now people uh, have a good intro to you as Hopefully. a human, an activist, a person that we all love. Honored. I love you all so very much. All right. So bye-bye. Bye. We'll see you soon.